the James Suckling Podcast. Wine ratings, reports, interviews and more. Morning. Hey, how are you doing, James? Good, how are you? Not bad. So it's morning time. It's 9 a.m. in the morning in Hong Kong? Yes. Beautiful. Let me introduce you to some some of the the reasons that uh, we make good wine around here. Jenny, um, Jenny, can you wave hello so that uh, you wake up the, the pro? Um, I've been with the company for 11 and at the helm for three. Okay, cool. And then Jake. Um, Jake haven't met. Jake, you haven't met. He he's the head winemaker for Cross Barn. Okay. So he's gonna take us. He's gonna take us to the Cross Barn wines Good. first. So listen, um, Paul. How about uh, just your take on the 2018 vintage? Yeah. Well, uh, let's start by saying, I don't think there'll be anything new in it. You already know that it's a bumper crop, a double bumper crop year, two vintages in one kind of thing. I mean, I've never seen in my 40 years of making wine, a vintage set up with that much crop. Wow. We, we James, we put more on average, more than 60% of the crop, in some cases, 70% of the crop on the ground and still got normal yields. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it, it was insane. And clusters were, berry size was large, relatively large berry size, large cluster size and large cluster counts. All of it, all of it like on steroids, like, a, it's yeah. like a, it was a freaky year. What do you attribute the overproduction to? I know we're blaming God, but we don't really know. Yeah. Because 17, <laughs> we don't know. 17 was, has a real was short. Hard. 17 was short um, and hot. And so, you know, normally after a short crop, you um the you know vines compensate, but Correct. that is that's like nuts. You know, we had been in a drought all the way through 17. And then that winter, 1718, we had a lot of rain. Um, and I think, you know, the vines had been struggling, struggling, struggling. So it's just, I mean, it's a theory that we can't prove. But, you know, you see this in other, in other ecosystems as well, where insect population is down and then suddenly an event occurs and insects are like three or four times the average population. Hmm. So it could be that that drought, I would say, is the most likely uh, factor that impacted that change. It's the okay. only thing that seems to make sense. Uh, interesting. And, and because I can say, I, you know, I've tasted maybe 150 wines already. And it's interesting. You can see some wines uh, are affected by uh, overproduction, where there's a sl slight dilution or they're hollow or, right. you know, it's, it's very interesting. And, it, and it's very and it's very um, inconsistent. Like one, you know, some people made uh, excellent wines. Other people like much uh, not uh, at a lower level than past years. Like seventeen, in an interesting way, already seems more more. I would say more consistent. Maybe not some of the highlights, but 
it's really interesting. It's well, I, you know, it's it's that's what wine's about. We don't. I mean, it shouldn't. Right. Be, we're not making. We're not tasting or making Coca Cola. Right. It's the same forever. James, I, would, I think we can attribute that to those that thinned and thinned and thinned. Yeah. One thinning was not adequate. Wow. Because if you thought, hey, I did, I did the thinning, I did my cluster counts, I did my cluster weights, I did my field work. Two two weeks later, it's like you didn't do anything. So if you thought you did it and you didn't go back and double check a couple of weeks later, you might come. And so a lot of winemakers were totally surprised when they went to pick their fields that there was so much fruit. And, and that's interesting too, because of the infrastructure of uh, Napa and Sonoma, some people, a lot of people hire crews for um, vineyards. And so they like, they're just used to doing it the same way. Right. Right. So it was very expensive for those that kept thinning because you had to, those passes are not inexpensive. Totally. And, and we, for example, we have one vineyard in Oakville on money road and it was a grower vineyard. And that vineyard, I think, probably had somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 tons of the acre. The grower, we told, we did a thinning, and then we got down to seven. And, and I said, it's still way too much fruit. And the grower said, you're out of your mind. You know, they can't, there's no way there can be that much fruit. And he's been like 50 years doing the business. He said, there's no way. So I said, I'll tell you what, because we were paying by the ton. Yeah. I am, you've got to thin it, so what can we do? And I said, we converted it to a per acre deal. And wow. he, he thankfully accepted that approach because he lost money if he would have <laughs> per ton. But then we wouldn't have had a place to put the fruit. Yeah. There oh, are a lot of wineries, Lord. James, that did not have place to put the grapes. Oh, my God. And so what about up and then, Yeah. They had to wait, press early. And isn't there also an issue where uh, also the economy at the time, uh, bulk wine was at prices had gone down a lot. So there was little incentive for people to, uh, well, some people to crop thin a lot because, well, it was more expensive. And second, uh, in theory, the per ton price for some grapes went down, no? Correct. Yeah. Wow. So really the perfect storm in a way. It was like a perfect storm. At the same time, uh, I think it's interesting because uh, let's say even in your wines, they're much more elegant style and uh, the t tannins are very fine. And, uh, and also it's interesting when people tried to uh, pick late or tried all these things to really, you know, uh, uh, get a little bit more body, it didn't really work very well either. No, actually it worked against, it worked, yeah. and, you know, one of the, one of the things that we, we had been seeing for, and, uh, you know, we get the Indian summer heat. Yeah. We never got it, you know, so typically somewhere during the growing season, you get that hundred degree heat for two or three or four days, zaps the vines and shuts them down. That never happened. We had mild temperatures. And so the vines just kept rumbling along, like, and growing and growing. And so waiting didn't make it better. It made it worse. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah, it, it was very was tricky. Good. It was wet. The soils were really wet because of the wet winter. So everything started with a tremendous amount of moisture in the soil profile. Yeah. And then it was mild weather. So we the soils took a long time to dry out. 
Oh my so God. The, 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 the vines got started like gangbusters. They went nuts. You know, in springtime, they were all over the place. It's just a jungle. <laughs> it was a jungle. <laughs> what a yep. story. Well, let's taste the wines. Anyways, I, I, I thought the cross barns were uh, like on the money. And uh, yeah, so that was, I mean, that was good. So, I mean, you guys were all consistently, maybe some of the wines were, uh, uh, like we said, a tiny bit less concentrated, but very, you know, very pretty. Everything was very high, you know, high level, particularly for the vintage. Good. Well, any questions? Jake is here to tell us about what he did with the cross barn wine. So if you have any. Well, maybe just give me. And also, is uh, this honestly, what was interesting, too, is uh, I found Sonoma cabs of uh, very good quality. Is there any difference between Sonoma and Napa this year? Like sometimes Sonoma, you know, Napa just stands out uh, heads, uh, you know, way ahead. Well, not way, but ahead of Sonoma cabs. But this year, really good, really on the money. Yeah, in fact, some people might argue that in this particular year, Sonoma is superior to, uh, I'm not saying for all producers, yeah. but between these two wines, I mean, there's, at least there's good, um, what's the word, controversy over which is the better. But um, I totally agree I'll with just you. Comment, I'll just comment, James, that yeah. the, the Sonoma wine is made from two vineyards, and uh-huh. Uh, Jay can explain more, but the, the, this is the first year where we, we bring in an Alexander vineyard that we purchased and now are replanting. It's 45 acres in the Alexander Valley, high above the river. Really nice. It has a nice savoriness. Very delicious now, nice tannins. Yeah, the um, as Paul had mentioned, for the Sonoma, it's really our first year working with a significant quantity and it's 50% of this Sonoma County blend from our Alexander Valley vineyard, which is a, which is a really cool, interesting spot. I think one hallmark of some of the cross barn wines is the diversity that's come from the different vineyard selections that comes into the wine. But what we're really seeing is in this scenario, that vineyard has so much diversity within it due to the geology. Um, it's riverbank on three sides and a hill on the back. So you can imagine over the course of history, uh, a historical flooding is bringing different types of soil and rock into the vineyard, but also washed down from the mountainside. So there's just mass diversity within that one vineyard site. It's offering some really cool wines. Yeah, I think that uh, what's interesting is the uh, the Napa Cab is quite with lots of blue fruits and in an interesting way, a little bit sort of monolithic while the Sonoma, you're getting some really nice complexity now uh, yeah. in a much more sort of savory way. And that's exciting. I think that if, you know, if more Sonoma caps can be like this, you know, finally, you know, it can be known for excellent Cabernet. I mean, it's getting there. Yeah, that is a, I, first of all, I'd love to hear what you just said. Yeah. Because uh, we, we believe the same. And of course, the price point's better because the fruit's less expensive, so that's that's an advantage as well. Exactly. So we, really, we we really think you 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 made all the number of the things that we we really firmly believe the diversity. There's a lot of complexity. Yeah. It's great. I mean, the wine is elegant. It's a beautiful cabernet. Yeah, it can really be. You could be the Sonoma could be right bank and left bank can be Napa. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think that Sonoma is drinking beautifully right now. Okay, so tell me, let's move on uh, Move on to the um, Coombsville. This is a new wine, right? You know, our Nathan Coombs Vineyard is now our major supplier of Cabernet for the Pobs program. We may blend in a little bit of the Bexhoffer fruit mm -hmm. here and there. And that vineyard has both Cabernet, Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot, and a small amount of Merlot. Mm -hmm. It's really like two vineyards in one because on one side of the Cruz Creek, it has one soil type of profile and then on the other side is a different type of soil. So even though it's, you know, all in one, one vineyard, it's in some way, it reads like two vineyards. And so this has been the first time, the first year where we really were at a point where we could just use our Coombsville vineyard and and that's why we're using the designation for the first time. Oh, I see. So this is this is your uh, Paul Hobbs Cabernet Sauvignon, but now you're going to call it Coombsville. Correct. Okay. This is the regular Napa. We're calling it Coombsville. Yeah. Uh, and the Napa is gone. It has a little bit um, more definition of uh, fine tannins. And you know it's it's very nicely crafted and has that sort of classic blue fruits and mints and mm. so really beautiful. I'm a, as you know, I'm a big fan of Coombs. Okay, so let's now we go to um, Crane, Doctor Crane, the devil. For Crane, it's pretty elegant. Mm. You know, it's not yeah. sometimes Crane is really a hefty wine. Yeah, this I feel reads with the more dark red fruit. Mm -hmm. uh, 18, I think, in general is pretty elegant. There's some little dustiness to the tannin at the very end, but I think that will resolve. At least that's what I'm getting right at the moment. Mm. But also, it's a very nice line, good weight to it. I think it's very well balanced. But it still has some good graphite, slaty notes. I get some some like slate rock, wet rock kind of characteristic from it. But again, I, you could drink this now. Yeah. Drink now, but better in, at, uh, after, uh, in 2022 and onwards. Mm -hmm. That's really a sign of the vintage. There's so many things are very attractive now. Yeah. Well, it's quite approachable early yeah. in the in issue. I think that 17 was was like that as well. But there's a little bit more um, ripe, there's more ripe fruit in 17, no? Right. Yeah. Yeah, this vintage never got hot. Never really. So it's more like ripe, but on the cool side of, of things, which I find very refreshing. Me too. Yeah. When was the, when was the last vintage like this 11 would be the best yeah I think. Thoughts, yeah yeah but 11 wasn't so big uh, as this one but i would say the vintage climatically the, the much more similarity with 11 than any other vintage i could think of in the decade but you didn't have as much rain you had rain during the growing season in 11 right 11 was more complicated uh, much more complicated Exactly. Except for the yields. The yields weren't so problematic 
and that was a huge complication because we had to fight with growers. Uh, but otherwise, uh, eleven was tougher. Yeah, because it did rain a lot. What do you think of um, uh, Piedras then? Piedras has a nice center palette, and mm -hmm. but different, very uh, a little bit different than the than the crane. Yeah, Piedras has a different weight and a different texture, doesn't it? Mm. More like wet rock. Totally. Slate, dark fruit, a more taut profile. It's a good piedras, but it's a little tight, I think. Yeah. That's yeah, I agree. A little bit tight at the finish, but very yeah. polished. It will it'll be fine, but this baby is gonna take a little, it's gonna want a little time in the bottle. But we know from experience that it will open, it will soften, never as soft as crane or as approachable as crane. We'll keep that dark, more stout profile. Okay, let's try the tokalon then. Mm -hmm. Beautiful nose. Mm. Much more floral this year. Yeah. Dried flowers. Really sort of starts off slowly then goes, you know, on nicely with, with beautiful tannins. Mm. I love the graininess. You know, it's, it's this lovely texture and they go on and on and on. It's really pulls along, long on the palate. Uh, they taste like Bordeaux. It's interesting that like Bordeaux tastes more like Napa now Napa's tasting a you know, structure. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like welcome. I think I, I, I agree. But I, I really, but in, in a good sense, I think this Tokalon's fantastic. And by the way, the Tokalons from Schrader were um, excellent, although they, they had a little bit more uh, high-toned fruits. And then that new wine that Andy makes, I thought was a step down from 17, a mm. little bit. Um, lighter on the palate, but uh, I would say your Tokalon is right on the same level as uh, other Tokalons, uh, except it ha it's a little bit different and a little bit longer, obviously not the opulent fruit. I think it's really exciting wine. Really beautiful. Well, thank you. That's serious stuff. Thank you. Okay, so now we're at Nathan Coombs. Yes. Yeah, this was really a fantastic wine. Yeah, I said subtle in a Napa way, which I'm not sure what that means, but I guess it's it's still sort of, there's some brilliance and opulence, but it's still subtle for Napa. It's not, you know, it's not, you're not getting a lot of that high-toned fruit, which I really like. I thought it was really um, a hell of a wine. Yeah, well, we were talking earlier about Puyak, and I think yeah. it has a, those dark, earthy notes. It has graphite, graphite and yeah. slate, and things yeah. like that. That is such a you can call it salinity or something saline about it. Um, and is and yet at the same time, what I, it, it's the classic in my mind, uh, iron fist and a velvet glove kind of thing. Uh. 
there, it's really got this beautiful velvety quality that I just, mm, I just love about it. So do you think, so this is a, again, the wines are much cooler, mm. which I, I really like. Is that, so, I mean, that's what it is, but also it's a, it's a slight move away from more opulence. Do you, is that something that you like, do you like it? Do you think Napa can do like, what's night, what's 19 going to be like? Is it more towards that or back to the big flat? You know, like, um, no, more like it's going to be more in this direction, but 19 will be even more refined and, and greater purity, even better purity and better precision. Wow. I think the 19s are probably the best of the decade. Wow. Yeah, the 19s are sensational. But this is this is the direction. 19, at least in our in our portfolio, we're, we we're, there's no more like overripeness, and we've learned a lot about how to work the canopy and protect the fruit irrigation and all these kind of things so you know the days of i think we we're i mean pure if we had crazy weather of course maybe yeah. we can't but yeah. under any normally good conditions i think we're we're, we're not going to see the plummy notes of the past yeah any, any of that kind of thing that's i think it's a big it's a big step in the right direction and so how's 19 looking for sonoma then like shards and um, pinots it's a great vintage for, for Chardon Pinot as well. We really need people to realize how amazing um, Chardonnay is from, well, we can even say the U.S., but particularly Sonoma and Napa, just nuts, so good. Yeah. I think that it's so often now that uh, Sonoma and, and, uh, and Napa Chardonnay is even better than Burgundy, you know? Mm -hmm. A few exceptions, okay, maybe Chevalier Monache or you know, whatever, but I'm much harder on burgundies also because they're so expensive, but this is nuts. We're getting, you know, you can get an $80 Chardonnay that's like Chevalier Marache level. And that's going to cost Chevalier Marache will be 400 bucks or 500 yeah. bucks. So this is really exciting stuff. And, and all the, uh, all of the uh, differences by uh, vineyard, the really uniqueness by terroir. That's so exciting. Well, listen, guys, thanks for the tasting. I look forward to catching up in person and really fun. And thanks for that um, insightful, you know, backstory to everything. It, it all makes sense now. And, uh, and I think it's actually exciting, too, in the sense that I, I like to see all the differences in, in vintages. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, that's it's right. not a formula. And, and, I, and it's that's connoisseurship. Oh, I like 18. I can drink that younger. 17s also. 16s, we need to age more. 13, we, you know what I mean? That's that's the connoisseurship of, of wine, and that's what great wine's about. So thanks for making excellent wines. Well, thank you. appreciate those words, James. Okay, guys, have a good evening. You, you too. Cheers. Bye. Bye.